Open up your Bibles to um, 2 Timothy 2, and let's, let's talk just a little bit today about um, the background of this book, but essentially, the crux of 2 Timothy, the entire book, it's all about the truth of God's Word, okay, and the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, or the gospel, the good news, okay, that's what it's all about. It's always going to be about that. One of my favorite, uh, favorite movies is uh, A Few Good Men. And not only can we handle the truth, we're commanded to handle the truth. So we can handle the truth. But it's just such an awesome scene. I couldn't do this without, you know, without putting that in there. I was going to do the video, but I couldn't find a good censored video version of it. <laughs> you know, so. But anyhow, it's, uh, uh, it's just fan. It, it, it's a cinema classic. All right. Let's. Let's put this in context, okay? Second Timothy is right here in the letters to people uh, by the Apostle Paul. Okay, looking at the Old Testament, we've got the law, we've got the history books, we've got the poetry books, which is for righteous living, okay? We've got the major prophets because of the content and size and so forth, the minor prophets. So we've got the nation of Israel, that is going through this massive history lesson on what not to do, okay? And then, and, and that they can't get to heaven on their own. The, 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 that's part of the truth. That's part of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that they cannot get to heaven on their own, okay? And Jesus had to come and make it possible, and he was, a, he was our Savior. So that's the setup for the New Testament, the setup of the New Testament for these books is the Gospels, where the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are documented and testified to. You have the book of Acts, which is essentially establishing the new order, which is the church or the new covenant, okay, and, and, and establishing how we're supposed to interact and so forth. You've got the, the general letters, uh, which are to, uh, uh, from the Apostle Paul, um, to, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, from the Apostle Paul to, to, to individual people. You have these, uh, I'm sorry, just general letters. And then you got the, uh, the letters to, to people, which are these three here, and I'll talk about those in just a second, and then the Pauline letters to the churches. And really, this is the, your doctrinal treatise of the entire New Testament. It's like just about all the doctrines set up there, and, and, and fantastic read. And then this... It's all about straightening out churches, and we're still doing that today. All right, but this is, this is about, you know, try to get, get the churches straight. These three here, Timothy, First uh, and Second Timothy and, and Titus, okay, they're, they're typically called the pastoral epistles. And the reason is, is because Timothy and Titus were pastors. So what we're looking at in Second Timothy is a letter to a pastor from one of the apostles, Okay. So if you want to know what is really important for a pastor or, or, or a Bible teacher to know, okay, that's it. That's what you need to know. And we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy. Now, um, Jim, can you advance that for me? Because my mouse is a little freaky. Thank you. All right. So looking at the New Testament writings, you know, that's kind of what I just explained here. We're looking at the... The, the, the letters to people, which is to the pastors and to the friends and so forth. Let's go jump one more. Thank you. All right, the pastoral epistles. You got 
1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, but this is the order that they were written in. 1st Timothy, then Titus, and then 2nd Timothy. So what we're really looking at is really what most scholars think is the very last letter Paul writes before he dies. In fact, not only is it just the last letter before he dies, he de- at this time, most people think Paul didn't, didn't really believe that he'd ever see Timothy again. So this is his last words. So if you want you know, something you know, that's really on his mind that he really wants to communicate, it's going to be in 2 Timothy um, because Paul's passing on his legacy to Timothy to continue the work and establishment of the church. Paul's actually writing this letter from a prison in Rome. So that sets up the context of what, uh, where he's coming from, okay? At this point, just about everyone, except for at least, uh, mainly two, Luke and, and, and Timothy and just maybe one or two others, other than that, everyone else has abandoned Paul. I mean, talk about, you know, your, uh, I mean, uh, it, it, as bleak as it possibly can get, you're in prison, you totally believe that you're doing the right thing, and everyone else has bailed on you. And you're, you're really standing there alone, for the most part, to establish the church of Jesus Christ, the church going forward. And, and, and I mean, look at Paul was, wrote, wrote, you know, literally 90% of the New Testament. Uh, it's probably 75-ish, but anyways, he, he wrote the majority of the New Testament, and, and, and he's standing there alone, but still standing for the truth. And, and, and you know, it's, we're going to talk about how, you know, it's bad now, but it's going to get worse. Well, I mean, it, it, in Paul's eyes, it's about as bad as it's ever going to get there, okay? So Paul's actually addressing, you know, that's the context for what Paul's addressing, which is staying faithful to the truth. Uh, really, you know, staying faithful in the, in the face of adversity. So he's, he's trying to transfer that experience over to Timothy as, as, as his son in the faith, okay? Even when it doesn't look like, uh, uh, you know, what you're doing is, uh, is, is, is winning or, or that type of thing, he was still focused on doing what was right, and that's communicating the truth. And why? Because the truth always wins, and we'll talk about that too. Um, the purpose uh, of the pastor um, essentially is to proclaim the truth based on this, uh, and, and we're going to kind of look through that. And the, the second chapter that we're going to talk, talk about today is really kind of the focal point of that, and that is it's to proclaim the truth. Um, a lot of other things that pastors do, but that's one of the reasons why you see such a heavy emphasis for pastors on seminary, is coming out of seminary with a, a good understanding of the truth and how to communicate that. Why? Because, you know, the, for, uh, the very first verse in chapter 2 is, take, these, take the truth, commit it to faithful men who will teach others also. And that's the, the, the focal point of the, of the passage. Today, the definition of truth is being cha- uh, changed. Um, pretty much uh, in, in many of your denominations, I think it can be summed up that Many people are swapping out truth for tolerance. And that's one of the things that if you can't beat them, change the definition. And that's the, that's, that's the theological slippery slope that is just absolutely abominable because the truth is where all the power is. The truth is what everything is about. 
this is, and I'm trying not to make this like this really heavy lesson, all right? But it's really the one and only reason we're sitting here is because of the truth. And uh, we're getting away from that. And it's, it's radically important for us to stay focused on that. Um, pastors are, are getting away from exegetical preaching or preaching out of the Word of God and taking the Word of God and whatever it says, that's what we're going to do. The pastors are getting away from that. Uh, many of our seminaries are, are when, when we say our seminaries are going liberal, that's what it means. It means that they are walking away from the truth and getting into topical studies and you know things that tickle everyone's ears or things that feel really good or preaching out of you know Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or, or something like that. It's just not what the church is. It's something else. Okay? So can you go to the next slide? So, the life of Paul. Um, I, I wanted to just kind of talk about this as a little rabbit trail for just a second. Paul's life was no picnic, but he was as faithful to the truth of anyone that I understand in history, okay? So, as an example of someone who's sticking to the truth, I'm not saying that this is what we can expect every time, but it's something that we could, that, 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 that does happen when you stand up for the truth. Why? Because when you're standing up for the truth, that means that everything else is a lie or everything else is not the truth. And so it, it's a dividing line, okay? So Paul's life, he's put in prison over and over. He's flogged. Uh, really, we don't, an undetermined amount of times, uh, he faced death over and over and over again. This is all coming out of Second uh, Corinthians 11. Uh, he received 39 lashes from the Jew, Jews at least five times, beaten with a rod three times, stoned one time, shipwrecked three times. Next one. Uh, he spent a day and a night at sea. He's, he's in continual danger from uh, rivers, robbers, his own people, the Gentiles. That, you know, because he used to persecute Jesus and so forth, he was constantly in danger there. He's in danger in the city, in the country, in the sea, and false brothers. Uh, was weary from uh, uh, pain often, who often went, went without extended periods without sleep, often hungry, thirsty, cold, naked, uh, continually concerned about the health of all the churches. I mean, we're talking about this massive weight on his shoulders. Other things, he had a, has this thorn in the, sle- uh, in the flesh. Most scholars think that you know he had this, you know pretty serious eye issues. Um, as he uh, and, and and as someone who's responsible for communicating and, and significantly by writing, that was just you know an awful thing for him uh, in his particular situation. And um, he was blind for at least uh, three days uh, after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus and so forth. So. That's the life of Paul. And I think way too often, we, we, we as, a, as a, the American church, we buy into this message that we see is if you're doing everything right, if you're working hard, it's the American dream. You know, if you work hard, you get the house, you get the job, you, you drive a, a decent car and so forth, you know, that's what it's all about, is if you do the right thing, if you, do, if you're, if you move in the right direction, then you're okay, and, and, and you do good, you get good. And that's just not necessarily the truth. What actually, I mean, whether, whether um, you have a, a nice house, a good car, or whatever like that, 
it may or may not be because of, of, of what you're doing. All right. Paul is, 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 is a prime example of this, that he did everything right. And yet his life in our terms was miserable. Now, in his terms, he was doing fine. That was just part of the part, part of what was what was to be the life that he was to present to the church, and and, and present uh, in public. So, I, I you know I, I want I want to you know desperately communicate that if you're going through trials, it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. You need to be doing it right, <laughs> you know, and you need to stay focused on that. But your circumstances are not an expression of your relationship with God. Because I've made decisions in my life that on the outside looked nutty. Walking away from, you know, uh, being one of the pastors of one of the largest churches in Chattanooga, that didn't make sense at the time. Um, But it was what God told me to do. So I did it. And, you know, I could say, oh, I was blessed for it, but that's not it. The, the, the focus is doing what's right. And I have been blessed for it in many ways, but not always financially, and not always the way that, that we think blessing comes. So we've got to stay focused on, on what, what the, the God, God's economy, not ours. So um, let's uh, jump to the next slide. All right. So here's 2 Timothy. Here is the entire book. All right. It starts out just like all the, all, all, all the letters do with salutations, a call to faithfulness for Timothy. And then this is the section that we're going we're gonna to focus on. Being strong, passing on the truth, dealing with false teachers. What's the truth? Who ain't? All right. Okay. And then in chapter 3, we talk about how you, know, you think it's bad now. It's actually going to get worse. Yeah, all right, uh, as far as communicating the truth and so forth. Challenge to faithful preaching, keeping, keeping the message out there, a reminder of God's faithfulness of Paul's, uh, in Paul's adversity. You know, and, and again, he comes back around to what, what his focus really is, is it's God's economy, not, not anyone else's, and then his final greetings and so forth. So let's, I think it's going to put a red box up there. Yep, that's the section we're focusing on today. Okay, all right. Let's talk about the purpose of the church. My master's um, thesis in seminary was on the purpose of the church. And I published my thesis about three weeks before Rick Warren's book came out. Talk about a bad timing, all right? Because all of a sudden Rick Warren, and I actually disagreed with him on one, a significant point. <laughs> so he said it's worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. And I disagreed with that I, because evangelism is actually not a purpose of the church. It's actually a responsibility of the believer. The purpose of the church is the, you know, worship, instruction, fellowship, and I said the expression of spiritual gifts, which is really, this is right off the Stuart Heights Baptist Church website, and it's all part of, is it part of uh, 101, right? Yeah? Okay. And it's, again, the, the acronym of WIFES, and that's worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, service, which is essentially the expression of spiritual gifts and so forth, so I'm, I'm cool with that. But... This is, the, this is the main thing that we're talking about here, instruction, all right? So, uh, and, and the communication of the truth, that's essentially what the purpose of the body of believers. 
the, the, the word church, ecclesia, means called out ones. Ones that have come together for, uh, as the body of, of the church. Okay? Worship, instruction, fellowship, and then the expression of spiritual gifts. So instruction is a, a primary purpose for why we exist. Okay? So that's why I say this is kind of a, he- it's kind of a heavy topic, all right? You know, the communication of truth. It's really one, it's, it's one of the primary things that we exist for. And so this is really, really important. Okay? Let's go to the next slide. All right. Oh. All right. So the first section, it, it breaks down into being strong and passing on the truth. All right? So in uh, 2 Timothy chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 13, there's a section here at the beginning. It says, You then, my, uh, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and the things they have heard and say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Okay? Now, there's a lot of illustrations that are, that are inserted here that Paul makes a point, illustrates it. Makes a point, illustrates it. Makes a point, illustrates it. But if you come down here to the command statements, it gives you the basic gist of what this whole section. So taking a little bit of a helicopter view here. Okay, the command stra- uh, statements are, are these. Be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. So be, you know, he's, he, he, the command statement is to be strong. Second one. Join with me in suffering, like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one is suffering as a soldier gets entangled in the civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer, in this case, Jesus Christ. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete stays focused on the rules and operates within the rules and so forth. So, so if you sum up this whole thing up, it says, be strong, join me in suffering. But here's the message. Here's the crux of the message, which is, remember Jesus Christ. Because in the next section, he's going to refer back to that statement. Okay, So he's saying, remember Jesus Christ, and then he gives a summation of the gospel. Raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. Just in case you were wondering, this is it. This is the truth. This is the truth section that we're talking about. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. That's the message for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything uh, for the sake of the elect, um, uh, that, that they too may obtain the salvation of Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then he says, here's a trustworthy saying. And this is, again, another summation of it. It says, if we die, we live. If we endure, we reign. If we disown, he will disown. If we are faithless, he is always faithful. So, Essentially, this is saying that truth wins. Always will. Always has. Truth wins, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it. All right? Sometimes you do the right thing, and life still stinks. Okay? And that's what was Paul's experience. And that's okay. Why? Because the focus here is that if we die, we live. The focus is in, is in the afterlife, is, 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 is in heaven, okay? So not all the time, you know, our, our, our focus is, 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 is always in our immediate circumstances. It's not, you know, it's not an eternal perspective. In the flesh, a lot of times we're just looking at this, this life of ours. And, you know, 
everything does even up. Everything, you know, the blessings do come, but it's not necessarily here. So when we get too focused on the here and now, sometimes we'll lose that perspective. And that's, uh, and that's I think, where, where Paul's trying to get Timothy, Timothy's head. He's trying to get it out of the, the nasty now and to a heavenly perspective at looking at, at it from the long term. And we need to do that same thing because I'm telling you, when you, when you do the right thing, a lot of times it just doesn't, it just doesn't look, like, look good, all right? So let's go jump to the next slide. Great. Here's, here's a, a list of all the illustrations. If you want to look at this, you know, we'll, this will be posted online. But he, the, the first three illustrations here are in the first section, okay? Saying a soldier is called to suffer hardship, and the reward is to please the one who enlisted you. Illustration of an athlete, he follows the rules, he wins the prize. A farmer, he works hard, and he receives his share of the harvest. All right, again, same thing. Doesn't necessarily apply, you know, during this lifetime, but having a heavenly perspective, it does all come, okay? Because God's worth is true, all right? And then in 2.15, where we're going to jump to, talks about a workman accurately handling the word of God. He's going to be approved by God. And that's what we're after there. Talks about a, two other illustrations of, of a vessel and a servant and so forth. Let's jump to the next sign. Thank you, Jim. Jim's getting his exercise this morning. All right. So this is the next section. Again, looking at the command statements. You know, lots of illustration and so forth. So, but looking at the command state, uh, statements here is keep reminding God's people of what? Of these things. What was he talking about? He's actually talking about the truth, the gospel. So that's the last command statement that was, so when he says, keep reminding God's people of these things, he's talking about keep reminding them of the gospel. Keep them in a heavenly mindset. Keep them looking past their immediate circumstances and, and, and keep them focused on the truth, okay? Warn them before uh, God against quarreling about words. Uh, it's of no value, only ruins those who listen. It's like, don't sweat small stuff, and don't get caught up in all these small things. Stay focused on the big picture. Stay focused on the truth, okay? Do your best to present yourself, uh, present yourself as, as one approved. So looking at, keep reminding God's people. Warn them against quarreling. Present yourself to God. And again, he goes back, and just, just in case you weren't clear on this, avoid godless chatter again. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Uh, their teachings will spread like gangrene. Among them, and then he names two people, we'll talk about them in just a second, uh, who have departed from the truth. How would you like to have your name in the word of God that will last for all eternity as one of the dudes that drew people away from tr the, the truth? Who, uh, in fact, you're described as gangrene, the gangrene of the church. Gangrene is when you're, 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 you're dead but you're still hanging on to, to the living parts, okay? So it's just absolutely, uh, just, you know, for all of eternity, that's, that, you know, that's going to be your, you, how you're known, okay? All right, so that's the first section. He's saying keep reminding them, stay away from quarreling, present yourself to God, and avoid godless chatter. Stay focused, okay? This section section here, starting in verse 22, it really starts talking about what we're supposed to do as a response, okay? It says, 
flee evil desires, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So don't do this, do do this. But then he comes back to this a third time. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Now, I come from Dallas Theological Seminary. There's no place on earth that knows how to better get into, what is it, uh, foolish and stupid arguments. That place is more cranial than, 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 than any other institution I've ever known. The only way you get known at Dallas Seminary is if you've written a book. And if you've written one book, you, you might get mentioned. You have to have written at least five before you even get in on the, 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 the good conversations and so forth, you know? So, and, and they can argue about the dumbest things. The focus is to stay focused on the truth, which is a simple message of the gospel. Stay focused on that. These other things are, are I don't want to say are immaterial, because I've got to be really, really careful that I'm not, I'm not saying that theology is not important, because it's, it's desperately important to have your... In fact, God, uh, Paul, Paul calls two people out for, for just really one point of theology, which is, you know, who have departed from truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. That was one point. And, and, and we typically, you know, don't make that a, a major point of, of, you know, whether you're a five-point five Calvinist or, uh, or, or uh, looking at the major statements of uh, Stuart Heights Baptist as the major theological points, there's five. Uh, it, and, and, and the resurrection really isn't one, but, but that's, that, uh, it was really important back then too, but, um, b- because of the recentness of it and so forth. But I'm not saying that theology is not important. It, it is. But, you know, if you've got the truth and, 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 and everyone is, is right with God and they've accepted Christ as their Savior and they, 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 they've got the, um, um, the gospel in their heart, if they, they're truly transformed, these other things, these other things, you know, we can all work together on those and, and, and it not, not make it a, a focal point. And so he's saying, say, focus on the truth. Don't get bound up in these, these foolish and stupid arguments and so forth. But then he says, you know, how do we really uh, address these people and so forth? And it says, not, and he's not, uh, it's really important, these one, where it says opponents must be gently instructed. Opponents are not these guys up here. Um, Hymenius and uh, Philetus, all right? That's, he's not talking about those. He's talking about opponents, those who are, who are seeking the truth, just are not educated in it, okay? And he says, they must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. That needs to be our attitude toward people that are seeking. If someone is, is trying to figure it out, we need to gently instruct them and be consistent. Not, you know, not bang them over the head with the King James. You know, that's, that's not the point. The point is to, to, to be an example and lead them into uh, uh, into a right understanding of the gospel. All right, so here's the two guys. Uh, they're actually mentioned a couple other times in Scripture. And First Timothy talks about, uh, and uh, most theolo- uh, theologians feel that they're part of this some who had put away the faith in good conscience and who had made them shipwreck concerning their faith. And then Paul actually referring to the same guys, I, Paul, have delivered them unto Satan 
and ha- uh, that they may l- learn, learn not to blaspheme. All right, so, I mean, Paul was very, very serious about those that were putting themselves into a teaching position and falsely teaching the truth, okay? So, one of the things that we can take out of this is that God seriously, seriously takes, um, or I'm sorry, we are to very seriously take the teaching of the truth. And one of the, 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 the most stressful time of, uh, of, of the year is whenever I teach Sunday school. Why? It's that important. It's just that serious. I mean, that's, uh, anytime you stand up as a teacher and, and so forth, you know, it, it, it's a serious thing. And, and you need to be, you need to have it right. Okay. Um, and, and then in Second Timothy, and he, he puts them among the, those that have departed from the truth. Um, and as far as dealing with, with, with false teachers, we need to, uh, uh, we need to basically take care of ourselves first by fleeing evil desires, pursuing these things. We've got to have ourselves right, but then as we approach them, don't have anything to do with the foolish and stupid arguments. Don't be quarrelsome. But and gently instruct those that are, are 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 actually seeking, okay. All right. Why is truth always under attack? Why is it always, you know, uh, something that 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 are uh, that people go after? Well, it's predominantly because of the implications. Truth divides, and all too often. You know, it, it seems like it's it's okay in our American culture to bash the Christians as being intolerant, but the fact of the matter is, we are. We're not. We're intolerant. Why? Because if if you understand if you understand that there is the concept of truth, then that immediately divides you and tells that there is untruth. That's the implication. If there is a concept of truth at all, that means that there are some that are right and some that are wrong. And the message of tolerance in the United States is is what most institutions are starting to try to replace the concept of truth, whether you're right or wrong. It's now, well, everybody's right. Well, everybody, you know, you know, they, they say things like, oh, God's on the other side of the mountain, and it doesn't matter if you go over the mountain, around the mountain, or through the mountain, you get to the other side. It doesn't matter how you get there. Yet, yeah, it does matter. Because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to man, uh, God except through me. That's it. Everything else is wrong. And that's okay. Why? Because everybody's got the option to take the right path. And here's, here's the scary, scary thing. In 1991, um, uh, um, George Barna did, and you've got to be careful quoting George Barna because, you know, you know, you can always make stats say, say what you want them to say. All right, but, but um, uh, James Dobson quotes George Barna. And um, it, it, one of the, in 1991, they did a, a survey of uh, one of their surveys. And they, they asked a real simple question. Get here. Yes, uh, whether you uh, agree, strongly agree, disagree, you know, the, the strongly agree, dis- agree, strongly disagree, or disagree. 
So that says, there's uh, this question. It says, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Different people can define truth in conflicting ways and still be correct. Okay? So basically, the washed down version of, you know, everybody's right. Everybody can be right. Truth is, is, is subjective, okay? 28% of all the respondents expressed a strong belief that there's no absolute truth. Of them, I mean, when you break it down into just evangelical Christians, okay, 23% of the born-again evangelical believers accepted the idea that there's absolute truth. Almost uh, over 75% of evangelical believers said that all truth is God's truth. Or said that, that all concepts are, are legitimate. And that's just wrong. I, I mean, you know, and it's scary because if that statistic is true, then 75% of us sitting in this room don't understand the concept of God's truth. God's truth is absolute. It's, 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 it's 100%. It's, it's right all the time. Everything else is wrong. And, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult to say that in today's society because you, 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 you're labeled as intolerant. Yeah. But everybody's got the same opportunity to get on board with the truth. So, you know, there's really only... I'm running out of time, so I want to be real quick here. Uh, there's really four responses to the idea and concept of truth. You either accept it, you just blatantly reject it and say, no, 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 I'm doing my own thing, right? You either you ignore it and say, you know, I'm not, I don't want to talk about that. You know, you ignore it, which is what a lot of Christians do. But recently, if you can't beat them, redefine it. That's the... That's a, that's a classic theological and satanic, actually, uh, um, response, and that it is to try to redefine truth. And I want to I help you understand, and, and because this is so prevailing, I want to do something real quick. Everyone at the top of your page, there's a th thing about to, to write down. There, this, is, this has a number of M&Ms in it, and my nine-year-old helped me count these, so I'm sure it's accurate. Uh, so, write down on your page how many M&Ms that you think is in this, this can. And then right next to it, just take 30 seconds here and write down uh, your three most favorite songs. How big is the jar? It's a mason jar. 12 ounces. I'm going to go with that. No. Nah, I think it's bigger than that. We're going to go with 12 ounces. <laughs> According to the measurement on the side, it is uh, four about 500 milliliters. So, okay. Write down quickly your favorite songs, real quick. I wish I could say that this illustration is actually my. My own? Oh. Yes. So she wanted to see it. She's, she's, she's taking this serious. Yeah. Everybody got a number? Okay. Everybody got their songs down. Okay. 
There you go. Good. Good. Okay. Um, uh, real quickly. Uh, everybody got your, your number down? Okay. It's 455. Okay. If you're close, stand up. I mean, with you, if you're within 10 or 20. What was, what was your number? Oh, oh, here you go. <laughs> you now have a bunch of friends. All right. So she was closest. Why? Because there's 455 M&Ms in here. Or she's sitting closer to the jar. Well, okay. I'm not that quick to tell her. But there's 455. She was right. There is a definitive number of 455 M&Ms in, inside here. Okay? All right. Look at your songs. Who was right? Which, which songs? <laughs> which, which song is right? Anyone? Which, which, which song is right? It depends on your taste. It's subjective. It's a, it, it's, it, and everybody has their own opinion about music, right? Everyone has their own opinion about, uh, about that. But there, when, when you're asked about your theology for your life, is it an opinion about yours or is there a definitive answer? Okay? Theology and the truth is not like music. It's like M&M's in a jar. <laughs> okay? It, there is a def, there, there's a definitive answer. So I purposely asked a question where there's no definitive answer, but there's opinions. And the way that, that many people approach theology today is that they have an opinion about it, and they, they, they count that as truth. That's not it. Every, whatever God has laid down as truth is right, and that's not going to change. It doesn't matter if you have an opinion about it. It doesn't matter if your opinion is, is you know, about this, that, or the other thing, or it's your favorite, you know, favorite thought. The fact of the matter is, if you're, when you're dealing with truth, it's not an opinion. It's whether it's right or wrong. And that's where, that's where we're at. So it, 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 we're after that definitive answer and so forth. So I, 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 I want you to understand that there is truth. There is God's truth. And we have to get on board with it. It's like a, it's like a, um, a freight liner. I mean, a, um, uh, a freighter. Uh, in, uh, I come from Michigan and on the Detroit River. It takes almost 10 miles for a freighter just to slow down from going full speed. It takes 10 miles. It's just going to keep on going. God's truth is stronger than that. God's truth is just going to keep on going. All right? And we need to get on board with it. Why? Because that's what takes you to heaven is God's truth.